Hello and welcome to the eighth episode of the Get German Football News podcast, where tonight we will be talking all things German national team as Joachim Lowe's men go to work once again at the weekend in the UEFA Nations League. As always, I'm your host, Evening Nathan Evans, and this week I've been joined by two of our German football experts, Andrew Thompson. Oh. And of course, Tom Fenton once again. Hi, guys. And his dog. And his dog. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, dog. dog. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> Bear with. <laughs> um, well, Germany began their international break last night with a friendly against the neighbouring Czech Republic in Leipzig. The host won a tight affair on the night 1 0, thanks to an early strike from Benfica's Luca Waldschmidt. Quite a few unfamiliar faces in terms of German national team appearances took their part in the game. But players were largely in there based on recent form. Robin Koch, obviously who joined Leeds in the summer, has played well for the Premier League outfit so far. Jonas Hoffman, a bit of a wild card for Gladbach this year, playing really well. If we start off with you, Drew, how important is it that players get picked on the recent form rather than just because of the name, potentially, in our previous appearances at the national level? Mm, I think you need to find uh, the right balance for that. Um, you know, for, for tournament play, for qualifying, you still need those core players that you can really build that, that, that focal point around for the national team squad. And you can see it through you know, essentially every team that's been successful winning the World Cup of the Euro or Copa America, whichever it might be. They still have those, you know, between you know, six and ten players who are guaranteed shoe-ins to make the squad. And usually the vast majority of those are starters, but you still need to find, you know, so a lot of them it could be you know, five or six players who are kind of in and around the bubble, as it were, depending on, like, if their form is quite good, then you work your way into the manager's thinking. So but I feel like we could all agree that that's something that Jürgen Love has struggled with in recent years. Usually he's, he's kind of hammered home the same players, it, not just when they were in okay and good form, but also when they were in bad form, and maybe he was hoping that he would, they would play themselves into better form when the tournament came around. Um, but they really haven't necessarily performed consistently, I think, at that point. That's when you have to say, you know, maybe now's a good time to uh, to look for for some new names, and and they don't always have to be younger players. You can still a player can still be you know 27, 28, 29 in good form and still make their national team debut. Um, so it's good that you know they're trying to do that now. You know, in the, in the eventual run up to what we hope to see with the, with the Euro. But um, you could probably say one of the criticisms for for Lopez Ben over the years that he's he struggled in that regard. Uh, Amongst kind of many of them, so it was nice to see um, someone like Philip Max, who um, does offer something different at left back to you know to get a cap and um, little Baku's in, inside as well. That's always nice to see. So those are the kind of things you you want in a friendly. Um, and if and if they perform well, then maybe you know they remain on that bubble and moving forward. You can kind of select them moving forward with based off their play and uh, conjunction with their club form. So um, it's just about finding that balance, man. Yeah, I don't know if you've got anything to add to that, Tom. Um, not really. Um, I'm pretty much in agreement. So I think it's in agreement. It's a good uh, opportunity, you know, to experiment and have a look at a few new players. Um, I just think the way Germany's kind of shaping up is it's it's gearing towards something, but people aren't quite sure what yet. It's, um, you know, you'd argue there are sort of almost better uh, players on paper or, or sort of. Um, historically that he could go to but I like the fact that 
that players who do well for the national team or for the for the youth sides um, are getting an opportunity to, to to prove themselves. And the performances may not always be there, um, but I like the fact that he's he's trying new things and and giving these kind of players who. Uh, you know, do well for the national team and go. It's almost like the whole James Milner phenomenon for England. He uh, he always seems to sort of give a bit more for the national team, and in that sense, got rewarded for it. So, yeah, I think it was. Um, I think it's it's a good chance to experiment, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, it leads somewhere rather than at the minute maybe looking a bit scattered. Hopefully, there is an end goal to it. Yeah, like we've just mentioned, then obviously last night's friendly saw. A largely rotated German side, um, several players grabbing rare starts at that level. A man that's been mentioned by Drew a minute ago, Ridley Baku, being one of those to make his debut at right back. And a player that, as a group, as our little group on WhatsApp, we're very happy to receive that call. A bit of a buzz, one for the German purists who have watched a lot of Bundesliga over the last few years. It's nice to see them players get you know, a bit of respect and get into the squad. Going to him as an individual, Tom, what have you made to his start of his season at Wolfsburg after he's moved from Mainz in the summer, obviously? Um, yeah, I, I think uh, pretty good. I think you have to um, you have to give him props. And, and it was inter- an interesting move. And, and I think one that almost came, not out of nowhere, but it came out of left field somewhat. Um, and, you know, I think for a club like, like Wolfsburg, it was the kind of move they needed to make in order to try and bridge that gap to the truly elite clubs. Um, you know, he was clearly was a player who had a lot of potential and a lot of things going in the right direction. And, and you could see there was a player in there, but obviously, you know, at a club like Mainz, it can be a bit hard to show that at times, particularly if you're looking to be dynamic and go both ways. But I think in that sort of German system with a three at the back, I thought he looks quite impressive and that could be a position that he possibly flourishes in so yeah I, I liked what I saw and it's just another option really for the national side if they choose to go down that road because there's a couple of players now who you could feel from there we know Klosterman has, has largely nailed it down and Kimmich can obviously play there too um, but it's another interesting option and um, and again I, I think he, he held his own and uh, you know he's doing very well for his, for his club side too and you know give him a full season season under his belt at, uh, at Wolfsburg and I think you could be looking at a real a player who who could be featuring for the national side in, in in tournaments, but he just needs a bit more football at the sharp end. Um, but yeah, the early signs are good. Yeah, just following on from what Tom said there, obviously for you, Drew, as he's mentioned, can you see him being that player that maybe becomes that right back for Germany in the future? I mean, if I'm right, I believe he's still only 22 or 21 and a half, if you will. Um, obviously, a big future ahead. Moves that bigger club if you will in Germany where perhaps he comes a bit more nervous European football obviously at Wolfsburg could you see him being that German right back in four, five, six years time full time I mean I think so he, he gives you that additional threat you know that the pace on that wide side uh, on the right and obviously German like, like for the overlapping wing backs or, or full backs so he does provide that um, and what also would allow is maybe moving forward when, when Kimmich come back, comes back from his injury, you maybe want to see Jeremy really tap into that partnership he has with Goretzka in midfield for Bayern and try to transition that from club level to international level full time. I think that would solve a lot of Germany's problems um, tactically. Um, it, but again, it would also give that avenue for someone like Baku to come in or Klosterman um, down, down that right hand side to maybe see if they can really nail it down moving forward and um, 
that would finally bring a big, a big kind of answer to a question of, you know, how does Germany re replace Philip Lahm? And everyone saw the similarities with Kimmich when he first kind of really broke into the national side. And he, he was very reminiscent of Lahm in a lot of respects. But, you know, as someone who came up through the ranks as a central midfielder, first and foremost, before he shifted to right back, it's, it's good to see him now. He's really making those strides as a midfield. And you see the qualities he does bring to the table for Bayern in that role. And I think that's something that Germany really actually do need to tap into, whether if it's under Jogi uh, Lov or whoever the next manager might be, if if he's not retained moving forward. I think so. I think Baku has every opportunity to really sort of another place on for himself. And you could argue that if you have um, him at right back and then you have someone like uh, whoever it might be with the Serge Gnabry or, or Lee Rezane on also on that right-hand side, that's a really, really difficult combination of pace regardless of which player it is to really deal with it on an international level. Um, so that's, that's something you would like to see. I, I think he has every chance to do it. I agree, I agree with Tom. But I think it's going to be predicated on how this club form goes. You know, just because he has the qualities to, to really nail down the place doesn't mean he's going to earn it. But I think testing himself now at a club who has ambitions to really be in Europe every year, that's kind of the watermark you want to set and see if he can, if he can handle that, then you know, he can handle things moving forward. So. Well, obviously, on the back of that, and given that we've spoken about how form is so critical in terms of uh, driving Joachim Lowe's team selection, are there perhaps any players that he should have picked this time round, or on the other hand, maybe not have picked? Are the players in general that you think maybe you know, there's a certain player at PSG that I know Drew uh, don't think should be in the Germany side sometimes? So. Is there any players that maybe should or shouldn't be in there for you, Drew? Uh, I mean, for the current squad, I mean, you look at it and you kind of think it's okay. Um, obviously, there are a few players who weren't there because of coronavirus. You know, Nicholas Luda's not there and Kai Everts isn't there. But uh, <laughs> if, if you're mentioning Julian Draxler, I, you shouldn't. I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of over him. I've been over him for a while. I just feel that he's one of those players that. Love picks him because he, he likes what he brings to the table, but irrespective of how well he performs. And Jaxler as a player on an individual level has the ability to play well, but he's been so inconsistent for both club and country for quite a long time now. It's just kind of defies belief as to why he still sometimes gets selected. And you could that squad to another option. Nico Schultz played six minutes for Dortmund in the league this season. Why is he even in the front of the squad in the team, you know, for the friendly, let alone? For qualifying i just feel like that that's just kind of another awkward selection for for a player that sometimes has performed well for germany particularly maybe over the last 18 months sometimes he, he put in some good performances but does he really deserve to be there currently probably not so um yeah i just feel like i don't know the the, the eyes have to be on on him now because germany needs a shake up right you know they've, they've not really been performing to, to the level that they're well and truly capable given the amount of talent that they have throughout every aspect of that squad and, and, and the, the player pool they have available. You expect so much better from them. Um, even when they get results, sometimes the performances are so underwhelming despite them grinding out a win. And they're, they're, they're really a team that there's just, just so much more about them that, that they need. And I don't, don't think Lowe's really the one to really bring it out of them. So. Yeah, and same question for you, Tom Riley. Is there anyone who you would like to see in there or should have been in there this time or vice versa? Um, I don't know really. It's hard to say. Um, I think primarily because you want players who are going to fit in with the system. 
Um, I really like the fact that Koch are there and, and Valdschmidt is there. I think that they're two players that if they weren't around the system, I'd probably be, um, be advocating. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think it's really tricky to say because you want them to fit into that, into that system. Um, and aside some of the new additions like Baku and Max, I can't really think of, of too many at the minute. I, I think uh, there's going to be a few more that, that he tries to experiment with. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with, with Drew regarding Draxler. I, I think that ship has, has largely sailed and you have to give other players an opportunity to come to the fore and, and, and show they have what it takes. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I, I don't know. I, I probably would say that he's got it about right and the players who deserved a shot have been given one. Um, so yeah, I, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with, uh, with Drew. Uh, not going for Nicholas Falkrook. I would love to, but <laughs> <laughs> he, he needs at least a good six months. I can't just, you know, my heart wants to say yes, but my head's saying not yet. Maybe the wild card at the Euros, who knows? I, I tell you what, I reckon, it, yeah, he, he could do a sort of, um, I don't know, who's thought of that kind of player? He could be like that, like, uh, I don't know, the Peter Crouch vibe, you know, when you just sort of throw him on and see what <laughs> The happens. Andy Carroll last time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Carroll scored a bank goal against Sweden in Euro 2012, so he could do a similar thing. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll have to find out in a few months, yeah. so. Yeah, looking ahead then maybe next to the two Nations League clashes on the horizon for Germany. Ukraine at home on Saturday and Spain away on Tuesday night. The state of play stands in Ligue Group 4 as follows from bottom to top. The Swiss are on one point, obviously looking largely out of it at this point. Ukraine are on six, Germany are also on six points, but with a far superior goal difference. And Spain just a point ahead on seven points, topping out the group. Um, Tom, I don't know if you want to go with this one first. We'll get a bit more into the team selection uh, in a few minutes. But just on the face of it, what results do you think you can see in both games? And what's the expectation, do you think? I'm so out of the, uh, the loop on this. Could you repeat the games again, please? <laughs> they are playing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they've got Ukraine on Saturday. That was it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Spain away on Tuesday night. Yeah, I, I mean, I, get, I think it, it really depends on on how sort of seriously uh, Lerv is willing to, to take these games. Um, yeah, we know we know Ukraine got a big result earlier in the competition and, and they shouldn't, we shouldn't be taken lightly. But, but I think if you're Germany, you're wanting two wins out of two. Um, it's just that weird balance, isn't it, between ha- having a good look at players who you haven't really seen much of yet and, and obviously wanting to, to have the win because at the end of the day it's still a competition as much as we myself included may deride it um, it's still building momentum towards something particularly when you've been given an extra year to do so and more time to find and look at players who you think could be part of your plans so yeah I think it's a fine line to tread um, but I think if you're Germany I mean you'd at least want to you know four points out of those two possibly all six um, uh, and yeah, to, to make sure that you, you know, at the very least, are, are, are sort of fighting with Spain for top spot. So, you know, it's been a reasonable start. I think it, it could have been even better. And for, for Germany, they they just have to, I guess, fundamentally sort of, again, it's that whole thing of, I think if you remember the, the Confederations Cup where, where Germany were trying to sort of maintain that, uh, you know, they went on and won it and they were trying to maintain that sense of a winning mentality and keeping it 
around the squad and they brought and they did that while simultaneously trying to bring in a load of new players um which i think you know Lerv did quite well and he could almost try and do something similar here um but i do think you know nothing works quite quite as well as breeding a winning mentality no matter what the game is and just getting that sense that you're building towards something particularly a side that had, that was so you know that went through the trauma of of the world cup 2 years ago or you know um yeah just over 2 years ago so uh, yeah i think for me that they have to take these games seriously and they have to just make sure that they they aren't losing games and they're building some kind of momentum um uh so yeah i think to avoid defeat in those two would be paramount yeah i'm over to you Drew, for the same really um how do you see both games playing out tricky i think the question that I'm that I personally have, and, and maybe you guys would mirror, is that you know if you look at the group, and obviously there's no disrespect to, to, to side, side like Ukraine, so you know, Switzerland who were vastly underperforming in terms of results, but um, it's Germany's defensive record in, in, in the qualifying group right now. They're you know considerably behind someone like Spain. So um, when looking at that and that match coming up uh, on November 17th, you know Germany are away to Spain. You say that would probably be the one defining factor that's going to really shape that match. You know, Spain, they've only allowed two goals um, all, all, all qualifying at, at, at the moment. So, and if you have a Germany, maybe a side that's maybe in a bit of a tactical transition, and sometimes you'll see them with a the back three. Um, you know, if they don't have some players available, maybe because of coronavirus or injury, or if, if it's just, you know, if, if Antonio Rudiger starting, there's a lot of questions that you can have about what struggles they're going to have on the pitch. But um, I think they need to be beating Ukraine relatively comfortably, you know. Um, but I think it's also a match that Germany could struggle in because, again, those issues at the back, um, particularly because there's, there's often that tactical struggle with asking too much of the wing backs to get forward and really leaves them open to get hit on the break. And Ukraine realistically are a counterattacking side. I think they've only averaged about 36% of the ball throughout uh, the nation's league. Um, so they're, they're really looking to sit back and maybe try to defend well and in good order and look to hit Germany on a break. And this is, we've seen it before, in tournament play from Germany at, at the World Cup, if you recall, um, against Mexico, you know, against um, South Korea, where they just try to really just kind of dominate the ball, and, but just made so, too many mistakes positionally at the back, you know, the poor awareness, and just got ripped apart on the counterattack. And this is kind of almost that recipe again, and Ukraine do have... Um, a handful of players who do have some, some, some good pace and can really hit them on the break. So, um, and then you also have the, the exact reverse where Spain are going to do, want to dominate the ball. So how are Germany going to be able to operate without being the ones to have the lion's share of possession? How will that suit them? Will Lowe change tactics and change team up to really become the counterattacking side? Will he use Timo Werner and Serge Gnabry and, and Levi Zani in a different, in a different ilk maybe to be, um, instead of, having that quality on the ball to break it a deeper side down or is he going to take the handbrake off and let them just utilize the space in behind. So I think these are maybe the, the two perfect matches that our Germany spectator will get to, to witness to see if he's willing to come to terms with that he needs to be more flexible in a lot of different areas in terms of team selection, in terms of how he wants to deploy the team as well on a tactics board to really see if Germany have what it takes to, to go into the Euros, hopefully. Um, and be able to analyze their opponent and say, there's a lot about us. We have a lot of balance in the squad. We have a lot of different options available to us. How do we utilize that as, as one of our biggest strengths instead of trying to hammer the same 11 every time, every time. And hopefully that, you know, if you throw enough stuff at the water, it'll stick. So um, 
I, I do think they need to be beating Ukraine. I think a draw against Spain would probably be about fair based off the balance of play, but um, it'd be tricky. But I, I think Germany should, you know, I think they should at least get four points out of six. Um, for me, if, if I'm a Germany fan, you know, or from Germany, or if I'm a player, or if I'm a coaching staff, that should be the goal for me personally. Well, we'll get on to Joachim in a minute, a bit more in depth from a personal standpoint. Maybe staying with you, Drew. Obviously, you've just gone through the tactical approach as he could adopt and so on. How would you, if you were manager, how would you address this German team right now? Would you go three at the back? Would you go four at the back? I mean, how would you play it and set it up? I think, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on who's available, you know. Um, but I think for me, at their back, I mean, I know everyone's gone with the three at the back fab now. I think it's, it's very much well instilled in, 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 in the current derivative of what we have. But um, for me, I would stay with a normal back four um, when when he's fit and available. Again, I said I, I would go with uh, Kimish and Goretzka and, as the midfield partnership. And then I, I would try to go with an attacking side that had a creative focal point in the middle, and then I would allow someone, you know, players like Navri, Zania, and Werner to, to just be mobile, to have a lot of interchanging play, use their pace, exploit the space. I wouldn't necessarily play this German team as a team that has to dominate possession. I think that's what they've been molded into, but I think they have a lot of players that could suit a different tactical approach. Uh, players who can play essentially like Julian Brandt, you know, Florian Neuhaus. These are players who can, can really provide from deeper, or they can drive play well on the ball, pick a decent pass, really allow the pace to express itself for the forward while also keeping the, you know, good shape, not overly relying on your wingbacks to bomb forward. But you still have wingbacks that can provide service from deep. Philip Max is an excellent delivery from deep. He doesn't have to overlap, you know, to the end line. doesn't have to get, you know, into the final third. He can still ping a, a really good ball in the front 30, 35, 40 yards out. And how many times did he hit someone like Niederdeckner at, at, at Augsburg with, with, a, with a good whipping ball in from a deeper area? So, there's a better balance and there's a better approach that Germany can take than just trying to always dominate the ball and always try to break teams down. I think that's really why, and we've seen it at club level, you know, in the Premier League and in Bundesliga and in Champions League, that when you now, when you dominate the ball, it almost makes it easier for quote unquote lesser sides to sit back. As long as they're well drilled, they can sit back deep and really frustrate teams that want to have all the ball. And then as long as you have, players for the forward that are good at exploiting that space and reading, and reading the flow of play and one or two midfielders that can pick a decent pass, you can get hit on the break rapidly. And we've seen a lot of shock results around Europe this season and last season because things are changing a bit on that tactical front. You know, it's not, you don't need the ball anymore really to be effective. I don't think Germany need to be sort of that, you know, ha have their foot on your throat kind of play anymore. They need to be a bit more balanced. So for me, that's how I would maybe change things a little bit. I'm not quite sure how Tom thinks, but um, for me, that's what I would Well, I mean, Tom, feel free to uh, offer your expertise here as well. No, I, I pretty much agree. Um, I, you know, Drew's analysis was such that I, I, I don't disagree with it. But um, <laughs> I mean, You can if you have something different to say, but if you think the same <laughs> way, then we're kind of screwed. <laughs> no, because I, I mean, the thing, I, I'm kind of pondering it as well, and I haven't really come to a, to a solid conclusion as to how I would like them to play i think the four does work well um generally speaking particularly in terms of how it can perhaps get the best out of the attack in a weird way um i, I do want to see them utilize kai Havertz to the best of his abilities and i don't quite know where that is at the minute i don't i don't really like him out wide too much i know he can, he's performed well out there um 
But yeah, I, I think finding his ultimate position will be important because elsewhere in the squad, I think there's generally good balance when the best side is available. Maybe still a few question marks at, at centre-back. But um, the one thing I like about Germany is they can hit you in so many different ways. And, um, you know, I, I know that Drew mentioned a certain way of playing and, and I think I'd agree with that. But but they have got different ways to hurt you and to hit you and the individual talent as well to to open teams up when perhaps it isn't going the way uh, going their way in terms of the, the way they've set up. So, and again, the, the versatility of being able to have two formations that you can seamlessly slip in and out of is always a good thing to have. You know, England haven't even got one they can suitably set up in at the minute when you just by comparison. But I think Germany have got a couple of ways they can they can go about it. So, again, it's for, it's what I've said at the start. I, I think it's tailoring to, towards something good. Um, it's still in that kind of early stages, um, but but they have the ability to play with the ball without the ball. Um, to shift things around a bit, and they've got brilliant individual talent, particularly in attack, um, that can change the, the the course of a game. So, yeah, um, I, I pretty much agree with Drew. Well, maybe a bit of a controversial question to finish off this little chat about the international was uh, raring to go for this one. Is Joachim still the right man for the Germany job? I mean, you know, it was very much like every tournament Germany would turn up, the team almost picked itself. Um, with Philip Lahm, Schweinsteiger, Bertrand, Kadira, the usual suspects. You know, now we're looking at a national team very much in transition to an extent, and he needs to find that right squad and that right blend that I think a lot of Germany fans right now would say he's not found so far. Can he do that for you, Drew? And is he the right man to still be in charge in, you know, three, four years' time? I think he can do it. I just don't necessarily know if he wants to. Um... You know, a lot of managers are creatures of habit, and we spoke, you know, pre-recording about you know Didier Deschamps with, with France, and, and the, the amount of talent that that France has at the minute. Probably, I would say it's probably the deepest player pool in the world at current, at current especially when it comes to finding younger talent coming through the ranks. Um, but yet, still, he's still, you know, Deschamps still persists on picking some some players that just really probably shouldn't be, you know, ahead in the pecking order. Of, some of the other younger players who have shown quite well for themselves. I think Germany are kind of similar in that regard. Um, I just feel like, like I said before, there's something to be said about consistency. You know the players that you have to work with. You know what they're capable of doing. You know they'll work for your system. That's not, that's not a bad thing, but there's a difference between having a core of players that you rely on and having the, the same 11 time and time again. And, and, and I can think back to, you know, the World Cup, which was the tournament where, if you think about the year 2016, there was all the alarm bells around Germany's performance. You know, they went deep into the tournament, but they weren't really good, that tournament, bar one or two of the performances. They were relatively average, and the alarm bells are already sounding in certain areas. You know, in terms of the balance was wrong, midfield wasn't quite right. You know, they were susceptible at the back, and everyone was saying things had to be adjusted in 2016 to avoid a poor 2018 and nothing changed. And then you got the 2018 result and it was, it was absolute bedlam. So and I think you can see it now again as well. So you, you, now you have the results from 2018. You see how Germany have performed uh, in, in Nations League you know, over the last two years plus the qualifying. And again, they'll still grind out results, but the performances have been poor on average, considering the, the amount of talent that they have available. So I still don't think he's doing enough. And I don't think Love's a poor manager per se. I feel like he's just, 
I don't think he's moving enough with the times. It, it's, it's not enough to, to, to go with a three at the back just because a three at the back is, is popular at the moment. You know, three at the back only really works when you have the, the really the right players for it. You, you need the right center back combinations. You need the right keeper. You need the right wing backs. You, you need midfielders with certain traits and qualities that can really uh, you know, give give that anchor role and protection for the back three so your wing backs can go forward and affect, and affect play. So I just feel like for me, I, I think, again, that ship has sailed and – if if I'm you know with DFB, I, I think I I, move, I look to move past love after the term. But the problem is, and as we talked about in WhatsApp, um, who do who do you go to? You know, the the ideal candidates are all in club positions where they're likely not going to leave. You know, you have Klopp at Liverpool, um, you know Nagelsmann uh, with with Erbiel. Uh, you've got Hansi Flick with Bayern. These are all managers that you would love to dip into if you, if you're the national team, but it's likely that they're not going to want to. Certainly they won't be available for another two or three years, maybe. So then what do you do in the meantime? Do you stick with Bob and hopefully he changes? Do you kind of get um, a you know, temporary appointment just to sit for the, for, you know, for qualifying for the next term and then next term, and then you know you're moving forward with somebody else? Or do you go with someone who's younger that you can build moving forward that might tap into all these young players coming through, um, tapping into the, the, the new way that, that Germany are developing younger players? It's a tricky one. Um, and I think... Part of the reason why he's still in a job is because maybe their prime candidates aren't really available. So it, it's, it's a tough one. But, you know, if Germany have another poor tournament, if the tournament does go forward and, and with the Euro, I think that they might have to, to bite the bullet and, 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 and get ridden and, and hope something develops with, with a replacement. Because, you know, two poor showings in a row for Germany would be, you know, not, I mean, unheard of, but also, you know, excusable you know, to the fans. So something has to change. Just your uh, opinion of the situation as well, and Tom. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think um, the difficulty is when you have a, a manager for that long, and I know he made a statement of sort of getting rid of some of the elder statesmen of the squad, and to a large degree, this is a new generation, but you have to wonder how fresh are the ideas, um, and, and just about a national fatigue amongst like fans and the media over Louvre as to whether he's the right man to guide them anymore. And uh, yeah, the, the last thing you want to see is him and his coaching staff and, and this sort of generation of players going out with a whimper in the Euros and, and and people kind of going, well, you know, we told you this, this was going to happen two years ago. Why didn't you get rid? And I think the the reality is, is, you know, because perhaps there isn't the right candidate at the minute. And I agree with Drew in the sense that you can look at some of the German performances and think that they're less than less than convincing. Um, for a number of years now, um, particularly given the talent pool. Um, but uh, it's it's just one of those, isn't it? It's the typical trap of even if you want to move on, everything is done for the, for the nation, everything is done for the, for the national team. Um, the way in which he helped rejuvenate the national team and make it a source of pride again. Um, you, you're particularly the, the, the you know, the, the FA are going to be reluctant to just shift him on if he doesn't want to go. And, and, and this really is going to be, I think there's a, an acceptance that next summer will probably be the end, whether that be a good end or a bad end. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's just one of those things now. If you're German, you cross your fingers and you hope that he's got something up his sleeve. You, cro- you, you hope that 2018 was nothing more than a, than a, a sort of a group of aging players who'd lost the hunger and the desire and had been to the top of the mountain and couldn't muster anymore. And that these new guys, you know, some of the guys coming through, you know, like Havertz, like Nabry, 
are going to be the ones who who, who galvanize things and take them to the new level. Again, I, I do worry that Germany won't reach that level because, you know, you look at some of the teams and around Europe and, and the way they're playing in the minute and, and Germany kind of uh, flatter to deceive at times, um, getting over the line just by just doing enough. And yeah, I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but... Um, I think I think generally you just have to kind of cross your fingers with, with love and, and, and hope for the best and hope that 2018 was a blip. But I do worry that um, there hasn't been a significant upturn in performance, uh, you know, compared to a couple of years ago. Um, but again, you've got the core and the nucleus of a, of a wildly successful Bayern Munich side. You've got a new generation and you've got one of the most frightening attacks possibly in German history if they get things right which is a big if. So there's definitely some good signs there and plenty to kind of to go forth with and be confident with uh, next summer. Um, but again, it's, the questions are going to remain and there's not a lot you can do now apart from just back him and hope for the best. Yeah, definitely food for thought, if you will. Well, just to finish this podcast, a bit of a brief one tonight, just with the last little line of discussion away from the actual international football and more on the impact. Where do we, well, where do you both stand on the fact that we're currently playing international football regularly, given that we're in a global pandemic? I mean, it seems, I mean, utterly ridiculous in a way that Germany have played a friendly last night and then they're going away to Spain on Tuesday to play before all players come back to the Bundesliga, head off to the Premier League and so on. Obviously, it's seen a lot of injuries because of it. Tom, as a Liverpool fan, will uh, get onto that in a minute. And obviously, more and more COVID cases every time there's an international break. Hoffenheim, the latest Bundesliga club, who have put the whole squad into quarantine. Not to mention that some are off on away uh, on international duty themselves. Is it really worth it, Tom? Uh, me personally, I'd say no. Um, but by the same token, I, I can understand those who say you've got a duty and an ob obligation to do so. And more than that, you have a, a squad and a team that you have to prepare for a, for a, a ginormous tournament next summer. Um, you know, we can't get away from the fact that the international coaches, as much as it might be arduous, um, as much as there's, there's going to be limitations in terms of what you can realistically hope to achieve in this time, I'm sure they'd rather have uh, you know the minutes available to them and the games available to them to get their their squad together and to get um, some idea of where they stand. I mean, we were just talking about Yogi Love and and him trying to to formulate his best side and his best formation and this and that. And you know, the, the problem is is that as much as me and you and and millions of other football fans around the world will be like, well, we don't need these friendlies. He's probably looking at them as an opportunity to have a look at players like Baku and and, and Max. Um, for which maybe they wouldn't get a look in otherwise, uh, you know, and, and you see the, the same kind of issues being played out across numerous national sides. Back in England, you talk about Jack Grealish, and if it wasn't for that, for a random Wales friendly just sort of shoehorned into the middle of, um, into the middle of uh, of a couple of Nations League games, he wouldn't uh, Grealish wouldn't have even got a, a game under Southgate in this whole. Uh, you know, mad period. So, again, there's, there's pros and cons to it, and there's the realistic nature that this this is a, a money-driven game, and that UEFA stands to 
to lose money and, and to lose, you know, uh, TV deals and all the rest of it and all the things that complicate these decisions. But again, I mean, strictly from a player safety point of view, which has so often been an afterthought throughout the COVID pandemic. Um, for me, you can't justify friendlies. Um, and again, you can even make a case that some of the Nations League games have almost become friendly-like because, again, and I don't want to slag off the competition because it gets enough stick as it is, even though I put the boot in already on this podcast. But I think I think it's fair to say that Nations League Nations League games, in the absence of, of of fans and a crowd, just feel even more derived of, of significance. And, and my worry with that is that you're just your players are getting injured. Uh, potentially not not really wanting to go away on international duty, which should never be the case, um, and potentially, uh, yeah, b- becoming kind of uh, resentful at having to do it because they may pick up a Joe Gomez style injury, um, and you wonder what it's doing to their mentalities too, having to go go into different countries and quarantining and this and that, and it's just a lot. It, it's a lot, and I think the whole footballing world, given how twenty four seven the cycle is, given how there's a giant, there's a huge game virtually every day at the minute. Um, with all that being said, to then add more football on top, it does kind of melt your brain a little bit. And, and if I was Jurgen Klopp, if I was Pep Guardiola, you know, if, if I was Hansi Flick, I would be pulling my hair out. And you, you're just praying that nobody picks up a, a, you know, a knock or, heaven forbid, something like Joe Gomez picked up uh, on duty for England. So it, it really is, it, it's, it's a bit like pay-per-view football and, and VAR and so many, so many of these decisions that are being made at the top of football right now, which seem to be putting a wedge between the fans and the powers that be. And, uh, and you can't keep sort of, I don't know, you can't keep putting fans and players second best before there's some kind of revolt or some kind of, you know, it reaches boiling point. And this feels like a moment where you go, there's too many injuries, let's revise this. Because at the minute, the cycle is just non-stop. Without the internationals, the schedule is already packed. And there's already going to be a tremendous amount of injuries, but 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 now you know I, I can't begrudge uh, any club coach. And and again, there's been a lot of talk as well about oh you know why why are you know why are uh, elite clubs getting so annoyed by this? They've got ample resources. Well, yeah, they do, but uh, you know a, a club like Werder Bremen couldn't afford to have as many injuries as Liverpool have had in the defence. Otherwise, they'd just be done for. So it's yeah, it's it's a weird one. And again, you know, my heart says get rid of the friendlies completely, but my head is 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 very much in the sense that I can see why they're still there, and I can see why Yogi Love um, and so many other national managers would still want them to exist because it helps them get their team together. Um, but if it was me, and if I was governing football, if I was Arsene Wenger right now, I'd be looking at player health, player health and safety first and foremost, and putting the the fans first and the players first. Um, because so often there've been an afterthought in this whole process, and uh, yeah, f- for me it's it's getting ludicrous now, and something is going to have to be done because I think we're reaching a bit of a, a, st- a critical stage now with it. Yeah, and just over to you, Drew, for your final thoughts. I mean, your nation, the United States. If people haven't picked up on your accent, um, <laughs> playing <laughs> playing in Wales tonight, Gio Reyna getting his first start for the national team. I mean, for him as a seventeen-year-old. We're talking about he's playing every weekend, every week in elite European competition at the minute. Surely the case that sooner or later these players are just going to burn out. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's my turn to agree with everything Tom said. 
it's um and it's fun because you know for me as a as a coach you know i i look at things like preseason and friendlies as an absolutely you know it's a requirement you know because you need to be able to, to suss out the players that you have make adjustments um and your tactics you know these are all things you want to look to but also as a coach you do have to say that and as tom already pointed out this the safety of your player is, is paramount um not just the fact that we're in a global pandemic still you know cases are going up uh in, in most in most nations that that are suffering from it from a, from a considerable margin um we see more and more cases in football not just because of internationals friendlies are qualifying your nations but also just because of the fact that the leagues are going ahead um so yeah no i think for me it you know i see both sides of it um again as a coach i understand you know friendlies are incredibly important but um as a supporter but also as a coach and um as a fan of the sport i you have to say you do feel for the players as well um, just just yesterday, you know, Dominic Vita played an entire half COVID positive, and no one knew it until halftime. So, and that's a prime example. So, inevitably, he would have someone in the in that career dressing room will likely end up with COVID as well. And there might be um, someone, one of his, you know, one of his opponents in the night could end up with it as well because he had it and he didn't know it. So these are that's just a prime example. It's just. If you minimize any amount uh, of opportunities or chances that that this can spread through the, through the football community, you take it. Um, so right now, I think for me, you know, it, it's one thing if you want to say, you know, the Nations League should be going ahead. That's one thing. But right now, I, I would make the decision and say, your friendly is, you know, I, I think you got to cancel them. And it's also good because those all these players that are going already through an awkward season period where the schedule has been wonky but, you know, because of the, the way the restarts work, you know, the way um, the season's kicked off and gone ahead. Um, especially players that had to play Champions League later than usual um, moving into this season. It's just any rest these footballers can get, it's important, you know, and you got to give them chances to stay healthy and stay fit as best you can. Um, you know, football is a, a type of sport where, you know, getting a serious injury in training is, is, is relatively common. So, um, and, and given the state of things, I, I think protecting the players is, is, should, should be the number one priority right now. So for me, I would, I would personally been the friendlies, you know, if you want to find the balance and say, obviously you don't postpone nations so you maybe you want to keep it or find a way to, to, to make it more efficient, then you go and do it. But yeah, I, I think it's, it's getting to the point where it's, I think it's definitely too much now, particularly I think the season's highlighted it now more than ever, um, the actual strain that, that, that these athletes go through. Um, I think it's just too much for them. Definitely. Absolutely uh, spot on. I'd agree with all that. Well, that will, of course, conclude tonight's episode of the Get German Football News podcast. Again, a massive thanks to both Drew and Tom for all their help and expertise, as always. Remember to follow us on Twitter to keep up to date with all things German football. Lots of interesting projects lined up on the horizon, so make sure to keep checking our social pages for updates. In the meantime, stay safe and thanks again for tuning in.